Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Snap Out of It Radio Network. Hear all our great shows across the world. Join our community at snapoutofitradionetwork.com. So wake up, stand up, and snap out of it. Empowered Love with author, self-mastery coach, and relationship expert, Melanie Tanya Evans. Take back your power, heal your soul, and set yourself free, free through Empowered Love. And now your host of Empowered Love, Melanie Tanya Evans. Hi everyone, I'm Mel, and welcome to another Empowered Love radio show. Now, this particular show is a really, really important one for the New Life community. Now, it's an interview and it's a little bit different because it's not a Thriver show. It's actually an interview with a lady who is an extremely special lady and she works on the front line with domestic violence. And it's just so fantastic that we can have her knowledge and her advice today in this show. Now, I know personally with my mission and my job that I do, how involved the work is with people who have been abused. But truly, I can't even begin to imagine what it must be like to see the real life results of abuse in the flesh day in, day out, and have to deal with the trauma that that would go with that. So this lady in my eyes is incredible and it's such a privilege to have her on my show and she's going to introduce herself so I'm going to bring her in now. So you go for it Fiona. No worries. Thank you Melanie. I'm so excited to be able to do this with you today and um, I'd let everyone know that my name's Fiona and I work as a high-risk domestic violence case worker and for supporting people who are in domestic violence where police are involved. My role is to case manage and support families, women, children and um, men with safety planning, high risk exit plans, referrals to other services that can support the cycle of violence being broken and information that can help people. Yeah, look, I mean, that's just amazing and we're going to get into, you know, what's involved with all of that and... You've been involved, Fiona, with lots of uh, community projects and what are some of those that you've passionately put yourself into? Yeah, um, I'll tell you a bit about my early career quickly, Mel. And yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I was a soldier in the Australian Army and um, as a graphic designer and a photographer and um, being able to use those skills to do the work that I do with domestic violence. So I've produced um, domestic violence information packs and um, intent safety information for people that are living in domestic violence. Um, there's several different communities, community committees that I've also been a part of and been privileged to be a part of. And some of these are um, No More Silence Against Domestic and Family Violence, which is a committee I was involved with down in New South Wales. And, um, and it was information that we put together and presented to um, hairdressing salons, doctor surgeries and local cafes about spreading the word about domestic violence and who you could contact to get help 
if you needed it, but also training staff. So instead of when, for example, a woman goes into a hairdressing salon and she talks about what happens in her life, like we all do when we go to the hairdressers. Um, Definitely. That, yep, that um, the hairdressers knew what direction they could put these women in to get further help. And um, I'll quickly fill you in on a story that um, one of the senior police officers actually fed back that one woman was only allowed to go out to get her hair done and, um, and it was in a situation that they were able to get police up and they were able to take action and she um, was able to get support from both police and community members for her to leave that relationship. Oh, so fantastic. That, isn't yeah. that amazing? It is, considering that that was the only place she could get out to. I think what an, what an astounding initiative and great ideas to yeah. get those people versed up. Oh, absolutely. And then to do the same in doctor's surgeries. And it was amazing even talking to some of the people that worked in the doctor's surgeries and giving them the information that then they could lead them in a direction where they could get help as well. And same with cafes, cafe owners, and they'd have posters on the walls and, and information that they could give out people. So it made a big difference in the community. Mm. And isn't it brilliant when the community are passionate about getting behind no to violence? I think that's oh, brilliant. Love it. Yeah. Um, another one that I was really um, a big part of was a dance away violence program that we put on, and um, that was with school age kids and running discos. But what we actually did was got the kids to be lead of the committee, and we just took a back seat to it. And there were children that a lot of the children that were involved in the committee were actually children that um, had experience with domestic violence in their own families. And them then being able to lead these amazing discos, but I also then got the opportunity to teach them what is domestic violence and what does it look like and how to recognise it and what a healthy relationships look like. Oh wow! Oh, it's amazing. And the kids made the most amazing posters to present about saying no to violence. Mm. And so the discos were on. We started our first disco. We had 60 kids. And um, I'm still following it up today and what's happening down there are up to four or five hundred kids coming and all the kids' posters about saying no to violence and no to domestic violence mm. and healthy relationship posters get actually shot up onto a big screen while the disc goes on. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And so that's just been really successful in that area. And um, why, Fiona, you know, why isn't this stuff curriculum in primary schools and high schools what a healthy relationship is, what violence is, you know, what, yeah. It, it just astounds me that this sort of information is not compulsory curriculum. No, but I think it's um, like I know when the previous location that I was in um, prior to moving and working where I am now is that um, I was a big part of the Love Bites program. Have you heard of that? I have, but I don't know what that is. Yeah, domestic violence um, love bites is around um, domestic violence and sexual assault and um, we do a whole day's training for each um, class that we run and so through the area that I was in we would do every single school and all the 16 year olds in that school and it was actually ran by NAPCAN and being a part of that was amazing to see the responses of um, especially adolescent violence when you've got that coming through the court system and what was amazing was that some of these young girls would recognise me at court and say, oh, my goodness, you taught us about this stuff and, and I really get it. And, um, yeah, you could build a really quick rapport with some of these young adolescents coming through the courts and getting domestic violence orders where there was charges of um, some really severe assault. So to link in with schools 
doing that, I find, um, is amazing to actually teach it. Well, how fantastic. And I guess in this generation now, there is like this raising of consciousness where these sorts of things are actually happening. Whereas back in our day, back at school with our generation, you know, okay, we had sex education, but there wasn't anything about what is a healthy relationship and what is violence. And I guess, yeah, and in the generation before that, in our parents, well, it was completely null and void. Yeah, absolutely. So we are raising consciousness, and I guess, unfortunately, there's been this legacy of damage that's happened because there hasn't been that raising of consciousness. But now, I guess, you know, the, the community and systems are really, you know, they're really attempting to pick up the slack, hopefully. Yeah, and I think too, and lobbying our government around funding and that domestic violence doesn't get taken off the table is really important. I think that's amazing what you're doing. So, you know, we, we've had some hours on the phone and, and stuff since we've reconnected again after years of not talking. And, you know, Fiona, I so recognise in you that you are just completely dedicated to your work as a mission. And I know people listening to you could really, you know, they could hear the passion easily in what you stand for. So what are the reforms that you're passionate about creating? Um, uh, What I will start with is that I'll refer to the person experiencing the domestic violence as a woman. However, I really want to acknowledge and recognise that men are also experiencing violence from their partners and their family members. Um, However, the majority of violence that perpetrated it is perpetrated against women and most of my work is with the aggrieved which is about 90% of my clients are women. Um, I also do at times work with perpetrators if they request that support however my um, main focus is with what's happening for the woman and is she safe. Um, I'm extremely passionate about working with families who have or are experiencing domestic violence and my mission is to educate people about healthy relationships based on equality and respect for one another, support knowledge and education. Um, as a support worker where I am now, I'm really aware of the power and control that the person is living with and how difficult it is for many people to make the decision to change their circumstances in the violent relationship due to the partner's power and control of all of their decisions. Um, It's very crucial and a difficult decision whether to continue the relationship or end the relationship, Melanie. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even for us in narcissistic abuse relationships, I mean, I've been in, like, nothing like this high-level violence, first time round possibly, but it's excruciating decisions. Absolutely. Yeah, and and you had that power and control in and not being able to make decisions for a long time. Some women are so disempowered in the relationships that they can't make the decisions that um, by the time they've got to me, um, you know, it's really important that I respect what's happening for them and being able to talk through and let them find their decisions in that. Yeah, Melanie, I've produced um, lots of domestic violence information and I put it into a pack but also high risk safety planning packs Um, and that's because of the extreme distress at the time of having to meet them and they're so overwhelmed at times and having to make that decision to protect themselves and their families that when they leave some of the information that I could actually just talk to them about 
um, especially if they're sitting in a police station, it's really overwhelming and really confronting. So I've put them into packs and information that they can walk away and read them in a safe place after they go. So, and especially um, most of the people that I work through are going through the court system and the judicial system. And so providing that information and referrals um, around enhancing to take their power back and even to the degree of meeting them at you know, 8.30 in the morning before they go so I can walk in with them and make them feel that, um, you know, they're not on their own through that process. And um, I guess depending too, Melanie, I'm talking about what country or what state you're in, what that courtroom looks like and having support with them. Um, a lot of the time this involves looking at, you know, like in the information packs that I give them, looking at what is domestic violence. Many people still today when, you know, police have been involved and they've caught out and they go, some of them that actually get through will go, oh, well, it's not physical, it's just everything else, you know, like it's just the time. And, and when we talk about that and talk about, yeah, but that is domestic violence and, and being able to look at that information. So true. I found so many people in the community and I was like that first time around. It's like, well... We didn't even know the uh, nuances of what violence looks like. Mm. And even, um, you know, like even a domestic violence cycle, like once you actually look at what that looks like and what it is and pull that apart, a lot of women just go, oh my goodness, that's my life on that piece of paper. And it's a cycle of violence. And how can we support them to break that? Mm. Can you just mention that I know a lot of people might have looked up a cycle of violence chart or they've seen it but can you just briefly explain? Oh, absolutely what that that cycle of violence and that looks like and um and a lot of the time I look at it as that um I'll start at the stage um, of you know that honeymoon stage I guess where everyone you know in you know everyone in the relationship feels really safe and comfortable and Mm, we call it love bombing in oh, the narcissistic yeah. abuse community. It's a word because I always think that honeymoon phase. Well, love bombing is is very very particular with a narcissist. Yeah, I need to write that down. So uh, yeah, so you get to let's call it the love bombing phase, and um, and then we come into that build up phase, and that's that increasing tension. And once you've been through this cycle a few times, you start to recognise that they, you know, yeah, I've been here before, and the tension's increasing and. You know, and, and for the person who... You can feel it. You know it's going to go off. Absolutely. You just know. Yep. Get to that standover yep. phase, and at that point, you know, nothing you're going to do or say is going to change what they're doing. You're absolutely in fear Correct. and the control's there. And that's where we lead into that violent incident. Violent incident, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be physical. It can start off as verbal and those first warning signs that a lot of us, you know... Um, I know I can look at my younger days and, you know, find, oh, well, you know, this has happened and, you know, it's only, you know, swearing at me, but things will cool, cool down, you know, that's not too bad and we minimise it. Yes. But over time, yes. that violence can become much worse and into that physical violence and severe physical violence when I'm dealing in the court system with no attempted murder mm. charges and grievous bodily harm and it's horrendous. Um, yes. That's just, that is horrendous. And after we come out of that, um, after the violent incident, we have the remorse phase. And I'd like to say at this point that we can mm -hmm. completely skip phases of this cycle. It doesn't always have to be exact. Mm, and the thing is, remorse with a narcissist can take weeks. Yep. 
can take days or weeks and there'll be an escalation and they'll stand in the I have to be right rather than sorry and that can go on for quite some time and then they might hit remorse. And even then I find a lot of the time it's the person that's, that's, you know, and I'd like to use the word grieved. I don't really like to use the word victim because I think that that's a comment that can... A, um, not be effective, especially for women. So I, I'd like to refer them to the aggrieved in the situation. Um, and a lot, Perfect. a lot of the time the aggrieved um, is the one that actually goes through the remorse phase. Oh, gosh, yes. You've hit that nail right it's on the head. That I'm the one that's sorry, I'm the one that's wrong, I'm the one that has to make it up, I'm the one that has to twist myself into a pretzel, into a different yep. shape to make it up with this person. Yeah, and then a lot of the time, the perpetrators of violence will actually say, it's because of your behaviour in that build-up phase. You know, you looked at me funny, or I saw you talking to that guy, or, you know, you can do what I expected you to do. So actually, it's all your fault, and you've caused this. And you're responsible for my bad behaviour. Yes, totally. Yeah, there'll be a lot of hands up listening to this interview. Yeah, and it's not okay. Mm. So, so no, it's not okay. That remorse phase, and I've met, and then we come into the pursuit phase, and that pursuit phase is, um, I like to call it the gift and promises stage as well. I've sat in a courtroom where I've seen messages come through a phone where it says, "Please go in that courtroom and please lie and tell them that I never done any of that because yeah. I promise that once we get out of here, everything's going to be a different, babe, and I love you so much, and please don't do this to me." And and you can see it tearing at the women, and that's the being able to talk about what's happening for them and what that phase looks like. And um, and a lot of the time, if once they start to recognise the cycle, I believe it can make a difference. Um, or if yes, they believe, yes. oh my God, they're, they're going to be different and I believe them, we come back to that love bombing phase. Love it. And um, yes. But what <laughs> has to happen when we come back to that stage is we actually have to deny the previous abuse actually happened, sweep it under the carpet... Correct. And go, okay, let's draw a line in the sand and I hope everything's better from here on and start again. Mm-hmm. However, it's not long before we're back into that cycle and over time that cycle can actually go faster and become more violent. Correct. And that's what I've seen in this new life community and I saw it in my own life, that once the cracks start appearing and you start getting those violent cycles, then they happen more and more frequently and they happen with greater intensity. Yeah. And I've seen this happen to virtually everybody that I've intimately been connected with through NARP or as clients that are dealing with this. Yeah, Absolutely. and it's horrendous. And then you put in there other types of violence that's happening. Um, coercion and threats are horrendous. You know, the perpetrators mm-hmm. saying, you know, I'm the only person who would put up with you. You're not capable of looking after yourself. I'll kill myself if you leave me. And that just adds so much more tension for these women to be able to make a decision um, yeah yeah or you can't live without me you'll be nothing yeah, without me yeah i know you'll be back i know you can't cope absolutely. Yeah, all that stuff so then you know like it's um i can actually um sit back and and actually be able to pick now which part of the cycle a woman's up to while we're speaking absolutely you would you totally would because it's all the same yep. stuff Except for if they're in that pursuit phase and that honeymoon phase and they're really locked in there, I'll, um, I know that there's probably not a lot 
of influence that I can have except for to listen um, and be really respectful for where they're at and know that there's um, a good chance that they're going to be returning to the relationship and it's okay for yes. them um, and, and then my response will be like, um, how can I support you to feel safer and be safer? Oh, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And then, of course, knowing, it's the same with my clients that have gone back, knowing I'm going to hear from them yeah. again. And that's okay because that's, an, and we'll, we're going to talk about that um, soon around, um, you know, like we'll get to that, um, what that looks like. And for me as a worker, it, it, it's so normal. I would say probably 70 75% of my clients are still in the relationship. And um, it's really important for me as a worker to walk beside them in their journey and uh, yeah, and yeah. not be judgmental or, 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 or think what I think. You know, I get to see it day after day, five days a week, you know, and I see the patterns all the time and always stay really respectful mm. and walk in that path, you know, because they can change their mind at an instant and I can change direction yes. with them really fast as well. Yeah, so what are some of the services that you can refer clients to to support their needs? Um, oh, relationship counselling, if that's what they want to look at, um, and especially safe relationship counselling, especially where there's been domestic violence. It's important. I'm glad you say yeah, that. Yeah, I don't believe that it's healthy where there's been domestic violence for two people to sit in the same room straight away. I agree, and from my personal experience, and also from what I've seen happen in the community over and over again, that it is not a healthy experience no. when, an, when an abuser, when a narcissist slash sociopath is, is actually in a counselling session with another person, it's a horrific experience for yeah. the aggrieved. Yeah. I love that word. And if not, there's probably going to be violence on the way home and she's going to be in big trouble. Okay, yeah, well, well, that's it. And I guess, you know, you're talking about the more um, outwardly physically violent types, but then, of course, the narcissist will find another way to punish and twist and turn and, you know, do it on an emotional, mental level, if Absolutely. not physical. So the other services have always been employed by the actual domestic violence services. So even though um, I sit alongside a police, I'm actually employed externally and sit with domestic violence services. And we've got some amazing women that work in these services. I bet they And they know their stuff. So, as, you know, like to link in with our local services and our women, um, and they're all trained the same way as I am, and they do an amazing job of supporting women and um, whether they need domestic violence orders or they need to do high-risk safety planning and being able to link in with them as well um, to get that extra support. I look at family support services and how um, getting a family support worker in to support the family or whether the children need to go to counselling um, and what's the best counsellors for the family. You know, our domestic violence service has children counsellors that are actually employed there so they can actually link directly into a free service to get counselling for the children as well. Um, we've also got um, um, a male counsellor who works with, um, on per with um, perpetrators of violence. Um, so we've probably got a really good holistic view to be able to link in with families to support them. That's great. And isn't it great to know that that sort of support is available? Oh, absolutely. 
that it does exist. And and I guess are you saying that well, you're Australian, I'm Australian. So, you know, consistently in Australia we're looking at those sorts of services are really Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's getting um more into especially our rural areas I think is always a challenge. I was rural before here, so now I'm in a city, but before being in the location I'm at now, I was in a country area and we were able to have, I think we had like a 400 kilometre radius that we could go out and, um, you know, even do home visits to visit women that couldn't leave or what was happening and being able to get safety plans for them to get into safe locations. So I think, it's, you know, it depends on what area you're in, but we've also got um, services we can connect in which are Australia-wide now. 1-800-RESPECT, um, Lifeline, and they're all trained to be able to link people in with their closest service to be able to do support plans to help people um, at that really, you know, when there's risks involved. That's great. That is, that's really, really heartening to know. It really is. So, Fiona, statistics are really quite scary as to how long the abuse will continue before people will leave. And of course, because of the work I do and my personal experience with narcissists, I totally understand why people get hooked and they stay. So what are the statistics? Yeah, for the average number of times for a person that goes through the cycle of, the cycle of violence, we're looking at, on average, six to nine times before they decide that that's enough and they want to leave the relationship. Um, women stay in a relationship for many different reasons, Melanie, and it's and if external support people, families and friends, pressure the woman to leave rather than her making this decision herself, she's likely to return to the relationship. Mm. When, yep. That makes sense. When the woman yeah. returns to the relationship, she can have feelings of powerlessness and she will experience high levels of control from a controlling partner. Especially if she's left and she's walked back in, it can even change the level of her risk. And, you know, like... I've found that yeah. every time, yeah. totally. Yep. Yeah, if you leave and you go back, things get worse, Yeah. point blank. And, and two, then the woman feels really, like, you know, when I speak to um, a woman that I've already, you know, gone through all the stuff and we've looked at it and, uh, and there's been another incident where police are called to and, you know, whether it's two months later or three months or five months later and I'll ring them up and to begin with they go, oh, you know, Fee, I feel really, I feel really helpless and I feel really stupid. And, you know, and saying to them that, you know, that women stay for lots of reasons and that she's not stupid at all, you know, is really important. And letting, and letting her know that, you know what, lots of women feel that way. And that, that she's not stupid for that decision that we need to look at. You know, have we turned over every rock? Have we done everything we can? Children are involved. And that's why it really has to be our decision. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, so the, the decision to leave due to pressure from someone else is, um, and so I've been doing this job for enough years to know to absolutely respect what's happening for them, but also giving information and resources to their friends and family members that can support them instead of control them, because I see families that come in and see me and go, see, I'm so frustrated, you know, he's going to really hurt her, and I'm like, and they're saying, so I've said to her, you know, if you don't leave, I'm not going to come and see you anymore or, you know, we're going to cut you off. And I have those conversations with family members, the importance of them staying supportive and not actually becoming another form of power and control. But how Absolutely, absolutely. And you can understand why parents freak oh, absolutely. out. Absolutely. 
I can't even imagine what it'd be like to have my child involved in a narcissistic relationship. I just, yeah, and that's yeah. why I've got information to give them because what happens is it could end up isolating her even further and it does. Uh, yeah, of course it would. Totally. Definitely. So many women have hidden the pain and the abuse that they're experiencing. So why is you know, we know that, but why? what are the reasons for that? Some women that I get to speak to have never spoken about what's happened to them before in the relationship, and it's due to that shame and guilt and, you know, our culture. I think, um, I guess, we've still got a long way to go, but compared to, you look at 50 years ago when police were called to an incident, and they say, you know, that's home business. How dare you even talk about it outside the home? So oh, yeah, definitely. A lot of shame definitely. and guilt's tied into that, Melanie. Mm, and I guess also too, she's had a lot projected onto her, you know, thinking that she's the dysfunctional one, she's the crazy one, she's the she's the problem in yeah, a lot of absolutely. cases. Absolutely, and that crazy making behaviour, I get to see quite a lot of, and it's interesting to talk to some police that can go to incidences where they get out there, and he's absolutely calm, and and um. And to the point where we actually speak with um, police to say, you know, that's a really big sign um, when they go out there and she appears to be the crazy one and he's saying, look at her, you know, she's got mental health issues and, you know, and attacking her. But if you really step back and look at it in the situation where police are caught out, where there's been someone that's called police and someone's that, you know, frantic and you know that their response is actually not normal when they're actually really calm and pointing that out so we speak with police about recognising those signs and really listening to her and finding out what's happened for her and also you know police are really looking at um, looking at more evidence and other people that they can discuss about what's happening for this family. Isn't that wonderful? That is so wonderful that that sort of thing is going to really flush out that narcissistic mask and yes. veneer. That's so many women have suffered. Yeah, and it's amazing how many women say to me, you know, when I talk to them over the phone or they come and see me and they go, Fiona, people don't believe me because they're so good at it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, totally. And, of course, we can't leave the men out here too. We are, there absolutely have been narcissistic women that have put on the most incredible shows to police and courtrooms and they've yeah, suffered it too. Absolutely. And that I think that then makes it really difficult for, you know, the majority of the cases that are really, really genuine and, and need that support. Mm, yeah. So when we were talking the other day, you were telling me that um, people, women are reporting abuse yes. more. Tell, tell yeah, us about that. Yeah, the stats are um, coming up one in three to four women are reporting domestic violence, which I find amazing that there's even that many a number but I believe and usually when I have a conversation with a woman you know especially our first conversation I can you know I say you know you you know you've I've had a referral for you and there's been involvement with police and you know and this is the occurrence that's happened but usually there's a lot more that's gone on before women call police do you want to tell me about that and we talk about that and this whole story comes out of a whole history of violence usually once I've got it and how they've never reported it, or that sometimes police have been out there, but they were too scared to report it. So, yeah, how yeah, many totally. women don't actually report it? How many people have you got um, with you, Melanie, that um, are 
got violence, had violence in their relationship, but actually never gone to police. It's massive. Lots, lots and lots, absolutely. You know, the divorce rates being, you know, nearly one, like one in 50, or 50% of our community that are now getting divorced, and, and that's sure really, I don't even think we could guess that at Melanie. I think it's huge. I, I agree. I totally agree. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're right. We're, we're coming from a legacy where it's, it's been family business yeah. or it's been behind four closed doors. And I think for things with women, and I know in my situations, very much I was in this whole fear of security and abandonment and survival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think, well, if I don't fix this, what am I going to do? How am I going to cope on my own? How am I going to survive? All this sort of stuff that will make you hang on. Yeah. And two, then, it's, I think it's really important as, as um, workers in our community to really believe what women are telling us. Because, you know, it's not, you know, like people go, oh, do you think that really happened? You know, and uh, it's really important to really listen to them and to believe them and to let them know that the violence is not their fault. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So many women are really uh, who are, who are abused are, are deeply confused about what to do. You know, I call it when people are in survival programs and you've got all this adrenaline and cortisol pumping, like you can't make sense out of what's up, what's down, and what's sideways. Let alone how you're going to sort out your life. So how do you help? women that are going through these high-stress situations get clear about their options. Yeah, when I'm working with women, Melanie, um, it's, you know, many feedback that they're having other people's opinions and choices in their head. It's nearly like, you know, what should I do in their head? And as a result, they don't quite know what to make. You know, then you've got coercion and threats that are happening from the perpetrator as well as often family and friends saying, she should leave, she should stay, you know, what should she do? You know, or what about the kids? You should stay for the children. In many cases, he may appear, as we are talking before, the good guy, and she's the crazy one, because he's good at hiding the abuse that goes on behind closed doors, as smearing and isolating her from others. Mm, And that's, you know, that's a famous part of the narcissistic bag of tricks is the smear campaign. Oh, it's horrendous, Melanie. You must see an enormous amount of that. And I think the thing is, as grown adults, normal, non-narcissistic grown adults, when you hear information from another adult that's off the planet, you can't even assume that they're making it up and it's a total pathological lie. And look you straight in the eyes. And that's why narcissists get away with so many of their smear campaigns because people think that's a grown adult. Like, you wouldn't even assume they're lying. No. no. It's, it's just insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, you know, like women sometimes say, but he's so good, you're not going to believe me. And, and, you know, just through having those conversations with them, you know, letting them know that I do believe them and I've done this a lot and I recognise what's happening. And um, even leading them to your website, Melanie, you know, and talking about, have a look at this. It sounds like this, you know, the narcissist information that Melanie's got is going to really fit what's happening for you. And it's amazing when they actually do look at it and they're like, oh, my goodness. You know, they're blown away. And, and that's a part of that, you know. Really- well, you feel validated, don't you? You feel so supported that this ridiculous, crazy story that's like a bad movie 
somebody gets it. They believe you. They've been through it. There's a whole community of people that actually have yes. lived it. It's just nuts. Yeah. And and then yeah. it, then how do we you know sift through everyone else's voices that you know they're being told what to do and and you know so I support them to find what their voice is and, and let them know you know like it's amazing you know I can sit with someone and they're like I'm not going back I can do it and the next day I ring them up to see how they're going and they're like feed I'm back and I'm like that's okay you know I want you to know that I'm still here. Um, it's about, you know, how can I now support you to feel safe in that decision and are you happy for me to continue to follow up and see how things are going? Wasn't that brilliant? That's so beautiful. That's unconditional love, Fee. That's so powerful. Oh, and I think, too, that's how we need to be as workers because we don't need to be power and control as well. Absolutely. So... Are there many women in the first incidents of violence that will report or is it generally ones that have been going through it for years and years or, or over and yeah, over? Yeah, I think it's on you know, either end of the spectrum. It's, um, you know, I've, got, I've got some women and it's the first incident and they're just like, no, I'm out of here, I've had enough, I, I won't tolerate this. And then I've had other women that have been there and stayed for many, many years. You know, I've sat in the courtroom with women that have been, you know, 80s and 90 years old. And it's, oh, oh, that's sad. I, I find that really heartbreaking, you know, like for them. Well, it is, because you think, gosh, if you'd just gotten out and got empowered 20 or 30 years ago, yeah, that's tough. So I guess the ones that get out early, they'd be, and I wasn't that woman, I certainly would be now, but... Uh, they would be the people that would not, they usually wouldn't go back, would they? Um, not the ones that get out first time. I, I, that's what you're talking about, isn't it, Melanie? Yeah. Yes, no, because yes. usually they're like, no, there's a line and, and there's something about them. Um, I guess it's in comparison to if you've grown up in domestic violence, a lot of it's Correct. so normalised. Correct. However, for a... Different internal yeah. belief systems. And so I find Absolutely. most of the women that do leave the first time have probably... Um, do you know what I mean? Had a different experience and a different upbringing for them to be able to go, no, it's not okay. Definitely. I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. So there's, um, yeah, you were talking about too, we were talking about at times there's uh, minim minimisation and blame that can go on between two parties or Extra, ex, external circumstance. So can you just explain a bit about that? I think, um, you know, like a lot of conversations that I have, Melanie, with people and they'll say, oh, you know, it was the drugs and the alcohol and, you know, and there's mental health and, and so I'll talk about that, that absolutely are they contributors to violence. However, the person using the violence needs to be responsible for the abuse. So I do get to have those conversations and they go, you know, it's because he was really drunk and he was at the pub and he'd been drinking all night. And I say, yeah, but did he beat everyone up coming home from the pub, you know? And she's like, no. And I'm like, what about, did he, you know, did he beat up? He stopped at the service station. Did he beat anyone up at the service station? No. And I said, so, so it's about his intimate partner and how much control does it take for him to come home and to be able to control himself and take it out on her? Um, mm. So, And it shows you how much power and control is a, around that and it's a choice still to use violence. You know, yes. I, I know I've had several conversations today, Melanie, about, you know, mental health and 
and this woman actually fed back to me, but he's, you know, using a lot of alcohol and now his medication's not working and, you know, you know, she said, I can see that he needs to be responsible for his mental health. He's a grown man. And, um, and she said, oh, no, um, I can't allow it to happen because he needs to do something about it himself and, and I can't be there for him to do that. So um, Good on her. So the person that's using the violence needs to be held um, responsible and accountable for what they're doing. Yeah, because we can't stop people um, using violence, Melanie, but we can control how we respond to what they're doing. Absolutely, and that's what it's all about. And that's where I love something that I use off your website, Melanie, is the no contact. I've printed that out on numerous occasions and that, that no contact once they decide to go and how powerful that is. I'm so glad it can help you know, people out there and, you know, really, and we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll go through some more stuff, but, you know, it's sort of, I'm so thrilled because I was really unaware that my stuff was working through your channels and, uh, you know, and there's a lovely little synchronicity that brought us together to talk about that and uh, we'll go into that a bit later, but all meant to be, which is awesome. I'm so glad I can help. I totally am so glad I can help. So... Okay, so, you know, children are involved in a lot of cases. That'd be tough. Yeah, I think too, I think for me, is, um, for me it's probably seeing elderly women being abused and especially then when children are harmed in it. And um, it's just horrendous to, you know, read through reports where children are harmed and impacted during the violence. So I link in with families around um, protective behaviours and what that looks like and um, what their decisions are around that. But definitely, you know, because a lot of women say, oh, yeah, but they were asleep. And, uh, and kids are truly impacted because, you know, it's not just this one incident they've witnessed. There's other things they're witnessing and kids do hear it. Oh, totally, totally. Kids are so incredibly wise and they pick up on so much. It's, uh, it's huge, yeah. that part of it. So female philosophies are very similar in that we really believe that trying to get someone to rescue us from our own pain and our dysfunctional relationships is not the answer. So can you share your take on that? Yeah, I speak with women lots about this, Melanie, and it's about, you know, after they've ended the relationship and the importance of looking after themselves and that they don't need a relationship or to find a new partner that can rescue them so that they can recover from the abuse Usually I find what happens, Melanie, is that um, women find a new partner straight away and they come in and they say to me, oh, B, I found a man and, and he's rescued me. And I think, oh, my God. Oh, no. Because what happens is that they, um, when they do, if they look at doing, you know, recovery programs or taking their power back, you know, usually I find they come straight back and I've, another place of being caught out. And usually the violence is really severe. And police are called back and I'm working with them again so this is with the new partner yes. you're talking about? Okay, so they're really going from the pot into the frying pan. And too, because then if they look at, you know, I talk about how do we take our power back source and they're going to start saying, oh, I'm taking my power back and, and it's really working. But what happens is they get six months down the track and they're different people to what they were six months earlier. And that new partner saying, oh, I like you when I first met you better. I yeah, want that okay. 
they don't want an empowered person because it's nearly like, you know, sometimes I think, you know, can they see it on people um, that when they come in to rescue them, is it there? Well, that's very, very true, you know, because the thing is with rescuers, rescuers and the rescued are all operating from a wounded child perspective. They're not actually looking for a partner. They're looking for a parent. Yes. And it's not a healthy dynamic. It always ends up as a screaming mess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I still, you know, even when I see them six months later, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm really respectful about how we talk about that. Um, mm. But we'll go out and get a new partner. I must admit, I'd probably be a little bit more straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're so beautifully respectful. I must admit, I'd be a little bit more, oh. Anyway, that's great because you're doing an awesome job out there. Yeah, and I think too, like uh, if I, you know, for them to know that they feel safe and being able to come back and talk to me, and well, they have to because they they need that support absolutely. And I'm a sole worker, so it's not like they could say, you know, besides, you know, I can go to the domestic violence service. They can't say, oh, you know, we want to see someone else. (laughs) So yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in high risk situations, safety planning is totally necessary. Obviously, because it could be a life and death matter. So, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, when I'm supporting um, people, I discuss a support plan that will work for them so that they can become more empowered as well. I respect their decisions once again, as we talked about earlier, to stay or leave the relationship. Um, and safety planning is really at that point the priority. So I guess the difference between um, what I do compared to what you do, Mel, is that um, I'm doing that intense crisis work where you're doing yeah. a recovery work. So Correct. the safety in that, you know, I've redesigned safety plans um, that we can fit into small little pocket size, you know, hiding somewhere. Um, and especially, you know, I've had women that have had to go back home and and he's there and we've done a safety exit plan for her to leave. Um, And in one situation, I think we even came up with a plan of, um, you know, like, go home and tell him that you need to buy toilet paper and, you know, you can round the kids up and, and, um, and, you know, we even had signals of what I could ring up and talk to her and who she could say who I was if he answered. Um, and that she didn't even have to give me any answers, but I'd know by her response about what was happening. So that intense safety planning of getting her back to the house, that she could hide this little piece of paper that had amazing amounts of information on it. Wow. So, you know, safety planning, coming up with code words and, you know, even to the point of internet safety, they're going to go and have a look at the internet. What's their safety around that? You know, can they delete their history? Um, where to park your car when you go home, Melanie, in case someone comes up the park and blocks you in so you can't get out. And I've done intense safety planning, which even has to at times involve children. Mm. Isn't this incredible? And you think this is what a relationship has come to. It's frightening, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so in domestic violence situations, often the abused may become an abuser also. Yeah. So can you please explain this, how this can happen? I do get to see this um, and I found that some women, when they take their power back, um, at times they take back so much power, they actually take his power back as well. Um, I've seen women then get arrested for assaults and being charged and the original abuser then gets a domestic violence order mill 
through the courts and the original victims now being set up for breaches of orders and receiving criminal records themselves. Um, mm. and, and the thing is, narcissists love using abuse by proxy. Yes. If and they the can get anything on you, real or fabricated, they will go for it when they're in the punishment mode of yeah. punishing you. Yeah, and the court systems, you know, then, you know, gets utilised and then it's another form of power and control. And, Absolutely. And it, and it leaves the original, you know, aggrieved, feeling powerless and helpless to receive help. Or then, you know, the next time something happens, she's like, no one's going to believe me. And really letting them know, you know, we believe what's happening and we can see, you know, we've seen this happen with other women and... Um, yep, some women, I believe, are absolutely can be really violent, but there's a difference between you fight back violence, Mel. Mm, mm, mm. And there's also, too, there's a lot of, a ton of it in the community, and I've experienced it as well myself, abuse by proxy that's not even real. Yes. That it's completely fabricated evidence. Yep. And, it, and, and I get to see it weekly. Yeah, I bet you do. I, I bet you do. Absolutely. So, you know, we know that narcissistic relationships are horrific and we know they're violent. And at the very least, you've got the verbal, the mental, emotional, generally financial abuse. But we know that they can go to physical and sexual violence yeah. as well. And what is your view of the possible reform of violent relationships? Um, look, Melanie, I believe that some you know, couples in a relationship can work on their relationship and that relationship can become healthy and respectful. However, many, many are so controlling and violent that the relationship has has really no hope. You know, Mel, when they're in every single part of that domestic violence wheel, I think, oh my goodness, how, you know, it could take years to change that. And we're still dealing with, you know, part of our culture, that's that part, patriarchal, culture in our country and um, this can only continue to change through community education and awareness towards healthier relationships and what that looks like. Well you know I agree with that so much too and like the old system of relationships used to be very based on survival. It was about we get together and we, we pull our resources, you look after the house, I bring the money in and we survive and we can prosper. Now relationships aren't based on that anymore and that patriarchal version and it was like the latest, the last narcissist, I'll say the last, not the latest, the last narcissist I experienced, you know, one of his comments to a friend was that I've never been accountable to any woman in my life. You know, and, and I so believe that the relationships that are evolving now, they're about connection, they're about emotional equality, they're about teamwork, and they're about that deep soul spiritual, they've come together for purposes of evolution and soul connection, not for survival and domination. They haven't come together for survival and domination and for a male to say, well, I'm never going to be accountable to a woman because what I find in this community, and this is for both ranges of narcissists, men and women, is that if somebody will not be accountable and if they don't have the humility to actually say that I have a wounded self that is creating this behavior and I'm going to go to those wounds and I'm going to address them and I'm going to do something about them, if somebody's not prepared to do that, there's no reform possible. Yeah. And challenging those mindsets, isn't it, Melanie, towards healthy relationships. 
you know, it takes a lot of self-actualization and healthy space to actually fully recover once you've been in relationships like these. Totally. Yeah. And everyone's journey is different, Melanie. And through your website and other available support services, you know, we've got more resources than ever before. That is what is so exciting about this time, I believe, is that we have got more awareness, we've got more resources, we've got more powerful tools, we've got energetic healing now. There's so many ways that we don't have to be a legacy of abuse anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Which is exciting and it's wonderful. You know, some, okay, so some relationships are really, really high risk. So, I mean, within this community, the greater majority is probably more emotionally and mentally and financially battered. I do know that there will be a lot of listeners too that could be under threat of grievous bodily harm as well. So what is your advice to people in this new life community who are in such a position? Yeah, my advice to people who are experiencing this level of domestic violence is just to link with your local domestic violence service to get support to begin with. Um, I've worked in domestic violence services, domestic violence medium-term housing supports for women fleeing domestic violence. I've worked in family support services and also supervised children in contact centres, Mel. <coughs> There's many great workers found in these places and they're really trained well these days in crisis work. Which is wonderful. And the workers now too can advocate and support you with, you know, police and court systems. You know, like um, me working so close, closely with police, you know, makes such a difference. That And that's wonderful that police are getting more as that inside story, more of that understanding and... Because obviously they're called out. Yeah. You have to be able to work with them. Yeah, absolutely. And it's having conversations with them, you know, about what the cycle looks like and and linking in. Thank you. And doing that support with women and advocating with police as well. Oh, that's fantastic. So in Australia, what are some of the support contacts? I think looking at Australia-wide, Mel, so looking at, you know, your local domestic violence service, 1-800-RESPECT is a good one. That's the Australia-wide domestic violence and sexual assault counselling referral. So that's just dialing your 1-800-RESPECT and other services, you know, Lifeline and Kids Helpline. And also, um, even if you just Google domestic violence support in your local area, you should be able to then link in with where your closest supports are. Even women health centres, women health centres can help you, Mel. Isn't that fantastic? You know, I have received emails definitely from women that have said, you know, I have no money, I have, I have no way to escape, I'm, I'm getting absolutely tortured here. There is support, isn't there? No matter, what, no matter what situation you're in, there is a way out, yeah? Yeah, so if you're ringing up like 1-800-RESPECT, because they're trained with domestic violence, they can put you into your local service. I know for me, like if... Um, I wanted to support a woman that is um, fleeing severe domestic violence. There's links in the state that I'm in that we can link into straight away and they will pay for her transport to get their petrol. Um, we, we, you know, we found, it's amazing where we find money in the most amazing places to be able to round up in our community to say, you know, this is what's happening. We need to get her to safety and, and those supports that then come in to get her there safely. Um, I've even been able to, you know, link in with police that we've got them to completely different locations to where we are before we even put them on the train so they're safe, Mel. 
That's fantastic. That's I know there must be some people... I hope there's some people listening to this interview that may be in a really bad situation that think, oh my gosh, there is some hope for me. Yes. I really yes. hope yes. that's going on. Now, we were in contact some years ago, Fiona. That was a long time ago mm. when I'd originally you know, started the, the NARP work and, and stuff. And just recently I received an email from a lady, a client of yours, who was just so excited that you'd been referencing my work to people. And she sent me this email and said, you've got to ring Fiona because your work is out there and it's helping people this way. And that's what led us to connecting and creating this interview because truly we both realized so quickly that we so share the same passion yeah. of, of, of helping women especially, not to leave out abused men. I've worked with a few of them yeah. too. I know you do. But it's about primarily women claiming their sanity and their lives and their power and their well-being back. So if you'd just like to share the story, because I'd forgotten all about this, been years. Yes. So how did you first learn about my work? Um, Melanie, I first learned about your work when a woman that I was working with um, approached me and she was so excited and she said, I've got onto this recovery program and I really want to show it to you. I think it will be helpful for other women as well. So uh, how long ago was that originally? Oh, I think it was about six years ago. Five, oh, goodness. Five years ago now. Wow. Um, and I've worked with thousands of women now mailing domestic violence how are this woman's progress to recovery for me watching her was just really profound she went from someone that was extremely fearful and felt like an absolute victim to a woman that recognized that her ex-partner was responsible for the abuse to her um, every week that I got to meet her you know weekly we'd catch up and you could see how empowered she was and her enthusiasm to take responsibility for her own circumstances and make her own internal changes and you know to take charge of her life it was so inspiring Mel like I you know she just stood out a mile in front of everybody else just from working in the recovery program you know she was able to set really healthy boundaries Mel for herself and only say yes to things that were going to enhance her life. This woman was forced to move to another state with a child due to family law decisions so she was really isolated and had no support and really struggled financially. Um, she continued to work on, on your program Mel and began her own business not long after that so that she could provide for her family. Mm, and I know a lot of people in the community that, you know, even ones that have been married for 20 or 30 years or stuff, you know, they've, they've actually, through NARP, that's what they've done. So a lot of them have not any, only recovered from the narcissistic abuse, they've actually found their passions and their missions as mm -hmm. well. Absolutely. Mm. And Well, I, just, I was so blown away that I looked at your website, Mel, and, um, and I just... I'm so glad you did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I just loved it. So then right from that start, you know, I just would recommend. Um, and it was like I'd come across some women, and I think some women um, probably not ready for your website, but yeah, I could pick sure. which ones are. And I'll say, you know, go and have a look at Melanie's website. You know the ones that are saying, you know, I want to know more. Yeah. Yeah, you can. Yeah, exactly. So, no. so yeah, it's... Um, your, just your information that you have on the website, Mel, you know, how to break the cycle, how to have no contact. I love that. How many times I've printed it out and um, and just said to the women, you know, really having an understanding of what that no contact looks like. 
I've even yeah. updated it out for local domestic violence services and other people to go, you know, go and grab, you know, there's so many um, free information on your website as well to link in with Melanie for people who, you know, don't have, you know, aren't even able to access a recovery program but enough information they can pull out and know that they can go back there later to look further as well. Yeah, definitely. And I really wanted to do that. And that's one of the wonderful things about my son too, Zach. He's so passionate. We're both passionate about getting information out there to people that really need it and making it accessible for them. You know, and, and knowing that if they do have the resources and they want to take mm-hmm. the uh, journey deeper and get the really profound inner belief system changes, which are life-changing, they can do NARP. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They can go further with it if they want to go further with it. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. So how many people do you think, because this woman was so excited when she... She said, this woman said to me, have you seen Melanie's website? Now you do, you know, if you, you could do this program. And she said, I'm already doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so how many people do you think you've referred that out to now? Oh, I think I've lost count over the years, Melanie. I've seen, um, I've seen other programs out there as well. You know, a lot, a lot of the domestic violence services and the local services will run women's group. And I think that local connection is really important for women, but also seeing um, what the NARP programs offers and the amount, the community that you have there are so supportive and encouraging of one another. It's amazing just to watch. Yeah, it is incredible. It is incredible. And what um, has really evolved over the years is the NARC Facebook group where there's veterans in there now. There's just the amazing women that are thrivers. And like you were saying about women that work in the domestic shelters and things like that, this is what I love about women. You know, the community of women and the spirit of women is we want to help, we want to nurture, we want to grow each other, we want to help each other evolve and heal. It's a powerful tribal thing I think Mm. we have. And uh, the NARC Facebook group, the women in there and how they help people and support people. I can be teared up reading yeah. the, the threads in there about what women are doing for each other. And it's so supportive and, and it takes away that isolation through that journey, you know, because they're an amazing team. Yes, yes, they are an amazing team and and I love the fact that we've got our code of conduct in there and we're really, really doing the Mm. shift from the wounded child to heal those wounds to become that healthy, integrated adult to ourselves. We're doing the healing, we're doing the shifts, we're doing the recovery, which is that fast track experience that you recognized, you know, with that girl that showed you this stuff in the first place and she said well you know in a matter of weeks she's shifting into a different human being yes and that's what I'm very passionate about but you know look I totally 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 get that you out there on the front line you know what I work with people a lot is okay well let's shift you emotionally and it's going to change your circumstances you're out there on the front line in this war where a lot of times people don't have the opportunities or the time or even the space 
if you've got somebody in there that you have to hide this tiny little piece of paper to have an exit plan, how on earth could these women have the space to work on themselves mm. to get out of these relationships? They've just got to get out, hit the ground mm. with that horrible aftershock and then have enough support around them that they're going to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I probably get... I'm really lucky that I get to work with the, work with them for you know like weeks or depending I guess on the criminal charges or months at a time. Um, and for me, that initial um, crisis point can be so different to say three months down the track. Um, so that initial one is really all about um, safety and and a bit like um, we were talking the other day, Mel, about Maslow's you know Maslow's pyramid around um, that first point is that you need to have your housing and food and shelter and, and yeah. safety first before you can move into you know at the top of the, the pyramid you've got you know self-actualization and and moving through you know that you can't look at I guess recovery um, until the crisis has worked out but yeah. I'm saying in link with them you know some women it could take all day to um, to get to get them to a safe location and, and what that looks like and kids and, and something's happening in the courtroom, you know, all day for that process to happen. I can imagine. You build up um, a really lovely rapport so it's not like, you know, you're really intense all day. Um, mm. Having those conversations with them and what it looks like and what's happened for other women so they don't feel like, you know, it's just them that this has happened to. And, and then linking up with them, so ringing them up the next day to say, you know, it's Fee here, where are you up to today and what's happening, how's it going at refuge, you know, what other supports would be helpful and, and so staying in that contact, you know, court's coming up, um, do you want to meet me, let's do some safety planning around that, so that that continues support over oh, weeks um, bringing in other supports or where to now and what's going to be helpful. So it's probably once we're past that um, critical point of safety and and the risks we've looked at is then, you know, a few weeks down the track, I can say, hey, when you get a chance, have a look at Melanie's website, you know, um, really helpful information. And then, you know, a few weeks later, I can talk and they go, yeah, I've had a look. That's amazing. And um, Wow. Well, I'm glad I'm making your job easier and I'm glad you're <laughs> making my job easier by... You know, like together we, we, we've got this basis where we want to help women. We want to, you know, really make a difference out there with what's going on with all of this and yeah. how awesome that life's brought us together that we can do this. We Absolutely. Can, we can combine forces. And I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, women out in the community that are doing the same in their own ways, getting really passionate about this evolving mission. Absolutely. It's just amazing and even watching, you know, Women from just all walks of life linking together and, and pulling each other through is just amazing to watch. It's divine. And I, I, I love that. I love that about women. It's, it's really incredible. Wow. So, Fiona, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we could talk for hours, and we yep. do. <laughs> <laughs> and we totally do. And, uh, yeah, look, thank you, thank you. And, um, yeah, look, and if we think of anything else in the future, definitely, uh, you know, I think you're a lovely resource to have on. And um, and I'm sure, because this is going to go up as a blog as well, so I'm sure there's going to be a yeah. lot of women that are um, going to respond to this blog, which is going to be sort of really interesting because we haven't done a show like this. So 
it'll all just evolve from there but uh you know this is fantastic this is really good stuff and i'm so pleased you came on and i'm so glad we reconnected after years it, oh no i've loved it it's been so wonderful and um even just pushing along and, and you know just referring women to go through and look at what you do and and then linking in and um and watching it has just been amazing so thank you so much you're so welcome, Fiona. Well, you have a lovely night and um, and we'll talk again soon. No worries. Thank you, Mel. Okay, you're welcome. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. So I hope everybody, you've really enjoyed this show and it was wonderful of Fiona to come on. Now, for security reasons, she hasn't given her last name and where she works because Fiona uh, often in her work has to go through high security herself. So... I hope that uh, everybody can uh, understand that and respect that for this show, that if you want to get in contact with Fiona personally, um, I may be able to work that out for you. I'll have to check in with Fiona about that. So uh, so that's it for this show. And um, I hope you've enjoyed it. And I really look forward to what comes out on the blog in regard to this show because I know... I do believe that this show can inspire people that are really in those high-risk situations and also for people that are in the general narcissistic uh, situations realise it is abuse. It absolutely is abuse and, uh, and recognising the cycle of abuse and how it needs to be broken. So that's it from me, everybody. Bye-bye and lots of love. Bye-bye. <laughs>